Welcome to the Scale Without Burnout podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Silito. This podcast is a result of my purpose to help ambitious business owners like you avoid stress, overwhelm, and burnout in the workplace. In this podcast, I share everything I've learned about how to grow a profitable business, stay fit and healthy, maintain strong relationships, and develop the right mindset for success. So you can thrive, feel inspired, and work at your full potential. Todd Herman, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on here today. Andrew, I appreciate uh, the chance to, to jam with you yeah. and, uh, and everyone that's out there. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's see where we go with this. So this, sure. this report that you put together, just, can you just start by telling me a bit about what made you decide to pull the report together? What, your, what, were your thought, what was your thought process? And we'll go from yeah. there. So um, we're obviously uh, working through and uh, dealing with some fascinating times right now. And, uh, you know, I've owned a performance training company, working with pro athletes, Olympic athletes, um, leaders and CEOs from around the world for 22 years. And um, I am, uh, while I value research, I value the action that happens on the field of play. I'm more interested in what people are actually doing, not what people are saying that they're doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a, there's a massive divide. And when you're working with people from a performance standpoint, mental game, whatever, I like to pay attention to the words that people use because your words that you use create a fantastic window into how you perceive the world, how you perceive yourself. So um, to kind of get to this, what I, um, when everything started really hitting when the sort of, proverbial shit was hitting the fan at the beginning of March, at least here in North America. Um, I immediately started reaching out to CEOs, um, founders, and um, leaders of entrepreneurial organizations and started interviewing them on just a, a base set of questions that has evolved into something um, far larger, just to see, like, um, I wanted to find out what their mindset was and and how they're responding to this. I was figuring that we'd probably find two specific groups, one that would be leaning towards maybe fear, the other one that was maybe leaning towards opportunity. And the reality is there's been three groups. Um, there's a fear-focused group, there's a unfocused group, and there's a strategy-focused group. And the unfocused group was showing s- slight deviations from any other groups. And, um, and now I've been interviewing 91 CEOs. We've been tracking data with them every single week. They've got to be filling out certain things with me. Um, and they get a lot of value out of it on the back end as well. Yeah. But it's been bringing out a whole bunch of phenomenal data on who's winning right now, who's losing right now, what are the decisions that they're making, what are their choices. There's fascinating stuff between how men and women are responding differently right now and the results that they're getting. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So just talk me through that difference. We'll be deep dive into the content then and, and the results. Yeah. You made that distinction between what's happening on the field. And what I what I was reading between the lines was an academic study versus actually what's really happening in a practical sense. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about that and, and the difference for you. Uh, what the difference is between an academic study and this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. I, I, I want to be, I want to be mapping stuff back to, well, how is it actually changing the behavior or changing the results that you're getting? Um, because there's a lot of stuff out there that sounds wonderful. It sounds pie-eyed, um, and it would be lovely if it actually worked out that way. What? But we know, I mean, I know as someone who's been working on human performance for such a long time, human beings are massively nuanced and all of the stuff that sits inside of leadership books or personal books or self-help books um, 
just doesn't actually bear fruit. And so one of the examples is right now um, of the you know three different groups, there is um, a, a large group of the fear-focused group who are actually winning and getting some better results than some people who are strategy-focused right now, meaning they're the numbers inside their company are um, like revenue and, and stuff like that is, is slightly better. Their, the, their ability to pivot hasn't been diminished, but what has diminished, again, I think about peak performance. Peak performance is not only do you achieve the brass ring or you achieve the goal, um, but, but it's the quality of the experience that matters. Meaning people who are elite, they enjoy the process. They love the practice. It's like the Jerry Rice's of the world or the Michael Jordans. They will kill themselves on the court during practice so that when they show up on the court during game time, it just flows out of them. Whereas amateurs want to just think that they can show up and play amazing because maybe they were able to, they were more dominant for the longest time. They took their talents mm-hmm. and their skills for granted, and now they can just show up. But at the pro level, it just doesn't happen that way. My point is, is people automatically make the assumption when I break down those three groups, oh, then the strategy focus people are automatically winning. No, they're not necessarily. That doesn't mean, but what they are winning at better than the fear focus group is they're actually people who are having a way higher level or way higher quality level of mental health. So the people that are sitting inside of the fear focus group, men, particularly men leaders, um, are 4.2 times more likely to be battling moderate to severe levels of depression. So they could still be winning. Mentally, they are not winning. They are their 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 quality of sleep has diminished, so they're getting less hours of sleep. And and me as a peak performance guy, that's one of the first things that we try to control because mm-hmm. sleep affects almost well it affects everything. Yeah, your decision making goes down when um, you have lack of sleep. Your cortisol levels spike, so now your stress levels are are spiking. Now your emotional regulation starts to plummet, and you become you know, all over the place, you're, whether it's um, uh, ranting and raving at your team members or your little kids who busted on you, my little guy just busted it on me um, at home here. And so that's the stuff that's fascinating. And that's the stuff that doesn't get talked about very often. Yeah. And so let's talk about the strengths of that then. So people that are actually winning. So what are the sort of good things we would see? Because I mean, that's fascinating. And I'm sure there are people watching this saying, well, thinking, hey, that's, that's me. I'm putting on this show. I, yeah. I feel like I'm thriving right now. In fact, I'm giving myself a bit of a pat on the back because in crisis, this is when I thrive. Mm-hmm. But on the inside, there's something going on, you know, like you say, the sleep, et cetera. Yeah. Um, what should someone like that be thinking about right now? What should they be doing if they recognize some of those traits in themselves? So if they recognize the traits that they're actually winning or they recognize what necessarily? They recognize that, yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm thriving. I feel like I'm doing mm-hmm. well, I feel like I'm winning and actually the results show for it. My team seem to be happy and I'm getting, yeah. I'm navigating this, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sleeping very well. I'm getting more snappy. I'm more short tempered. There's some cracks appearing here. What should, what's the first thing they should do? Like a first aid kit for someone like that from a mental health perspective. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So um, I'll, we'll drop the link in after this, but I actually did a post um, almost a month ago now on uh, something that I have had as a practice for myself as well, but mm-hmm. also for clients. Um, you know, again, working with athletes, 
the moment you, uh, what's the number one stressor do you think for an athlete? Fear of failure. It's actually injury. Injury, injury yeah. is by yeah, yeah. Uh, injury by far and away. And I mean, yeah. I know you played sport as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, most the reality is at the pro or Olympic level, most athletes are dealing either dealing with some sort of a nagging injury or they're on the sidelines because of an injury. Mm -hmm. And because so much of your identity is is wrapped around your physical ability to be mobile and active, like that's that's a huge part of how you perceive yourself. And now, if you're mm -hmm. on the sidelines or you're injured, that can really start to um, diminish someone's overall level of mental health. So mm -hmm. I've had this checklist that I've ran through for myself because mental health, even though it's been a taboo thing for the longest time, um, what, what's been amazing over the last few years is it's coming way to the forefront um, as something that when you, when you monitor it, when you manage it, and um, when you are aware of it, does it ever massively change the quality of your life? Because People who deal with procrastination, avoidant behavior, um, even sleep issues, levels of self-confidence, all of that stuff can be um, tracking metrics that can be going back to, really, you might be dealing with a depression right now. So one of the things, and I'll put this in here as a resource, is to be tracking your overall level of mental health. So there's a checklist that you can go through. It actually comes out of the book. Um, uh, Feeling Good by uh, Dr. Burns, one of the great books of the 1980s. It's called the Burns Depression Checklist. I've modified it a bit. I put it into an Excel document that people can use and track, and it actually starts to create a graph for you over time. And what I encourage people to do, this is what we're doing. This is why I've got so much data right now on mental health is every single CEO in the study is filling out this checklist weekly. Right. And the reason is because when you're going through a crisis, when you're going through a really hard time, could be divorces and a good, good example, an athlete dealing with injury, um, uh, your business going through a buyout. It's, it's so volatile at that time that I want to track these numbers as someone who, you know, mentors and coaches and advises so many people. So that's one of the things is track the data on things yeah. because we use words like, oh, I feel this like, like this all the time. And I yeah. challenge people because again, I'm paying attention to your words. What do you mean all the time? Is that really true? <laughs> Um, and again, just going through this cycle for even a month with someone, um, you know, me putting what I call, you know, me putting someone through the, the hard ringer of working with me for a month, people automatically start to question a lot of their assumptions about themselves, you know, how bad it really is. So that's one of the things is I would, I would be encouraging people to be really tracking their, their men, overall mental health checklist, because the great thing about it is when you do see areas that are consistently um, underperforming for you or that you're challenged by. Mm -hmm. Now all these prescriptions that are out there in the self-help person development or leadership world, you can actually start to attack them with something that's meaningful because you know it's going to help you increase that one area. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, it makes absolute sense. And I think particularly those people that are that feel like they're thriving on adrenaline, cortisol, and um, my biggest concern or my fear for those people, and I think what your questionnaire does is helps them reconnect with how they're actually feeling, what's really going yeah. on in that in that moment, rather than just sort of dismissing it and just thinking, I've just got to get through this period, this moment in time. But then coming yeah. out the other end of it and potentially suffering with some PSTD, some trauma, you know, yeah. that, those kind of thing, and then not having the energy to go again when we when they when they need to be called upon. And yeah, perspective, recognizing that in their people too. Yeah, hundred percent. And um, 
Oh shoot. You just had said something and it just spawned something in my head that I wanted to touch on, but, uh, ah, it'll come back to me. It'll come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just touch on language for a bit, because I know you're, you talk about language quite a bit and, and the nuances yeah. in how people speak. And I'm interested to know, particularly from a sports perspective and a leadership perspective, what are some of the things that you look out for, or listen out for when you're communicating with someone? Um, well, uh, it's it's the choices of words that people use to describe a situation, but then also, so the word alone isn't just enough. It's also the kind of emotional context around it. So, for example, inside of the um, inside of the study right now, just I just want to pull up, make sure I have it all correct. Um, people that are in the fear focus group will use future pacing negative words thirteen times more than strategy focused people. And, and those words are things like struggle, uh, worry, because worry is a, a future thing, mm -hmm. or it, it can also be a present tense thing, hard, difficult. Now, here's the interesting thing. Strategy focused people are still using some of those words, but it's the context around it. So a, a strategy focused individual is saying, you know what, this, these are hard times, but... <laughs> We're going to find our. We'll we'll find we'll find the we'll find the right game plan. Or I've been through this before. I've been through hard times before, and and we'll and we'll make something happen. There's something good that's going to come out of this. Whereas a fear focused person is just going to be like they're going to sit with the actual experience of it being hard. So like things are just really hard right now, man. Like it's I it's hard for me to think of like what to do next. Um, I don't know really know what decisions that we should be making. It, it creates a context of doubt, right. whereas the the fear the strategy focused people it doesn't create the context of doubt it creates the context of opportunity or growth um and so that's what i mean by like word choices and so when someone says you know and again they'll people do this we do this so much in our vernacular and, and in our conversations they'll say things like um yeah man just things are just really hard right now how do you mean it's really hard like in what area is it really hard right now because again, we speak in absolutes most of the time mm -hmm. and, and yet the experience isn't an absolute experience. So is it hard at home? Is it hard with your wife? Is it hard with your kids? Is it hard in the gym for you? Is it hard on the field? Is it hard at, with your team? Like where, you know, like, well, really where it's hard is I'm just having a really hard time making, making a good decision. Like what, what should we really be doing? And that's where all of the groups, fear, strategy, and unfocused, are all still challenged by what's the right move. Fear-focused people are typically taking longer to take the action. Sorry, the unfocused group is taking make, is taking longer to take the action. Um, the fear-focused group is taking the action, but the driver of the action is out of fear. The strategy-focused group is taking the action, but the driver is out of looking for um, opportunity and growth and it's those two shifts in perspective is changing how people are experiencing this challenge i mean the winds of change are blowing on us all in the words of jim Rohn, it's the set of your sail that matters right now yeah. and some people's sails are basically set towards crashing on rocks or be going through tumultuous waves that really aren't even there they're sort of churning up the ocean more than they need right. to yeah, that's so fascinating. And <clears throat> I, I'm going to make just a few assumptions here, just some, some experience that I've had during this current situation. And you tell me, you know, where I'm wrong or right. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that some CEOs are looking at the spreadsheet, right? So they look, they're not looking at the people, they're looking at the spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking, where can I cut costs? 
And in my mind, these people are fear focused because they're thinking, right, I need to eliminate this and eliminate that. It's a, it's a bit of a knee-jerk yeah. reaction, quite quick reactions compared to, say, someone who I would assume is, is more optimistic and wants to galvanize people towards a common goal. They may have to make yeah. some cuts, put people on furlough, would be more the yeah. strategy-focused person. And maybe the unfocused is just frozen for a bit. Am I on the right track there or... Yeah, in, in some ways. I mean, there, there are some like, there, there are practical things that all of us need to do when it comes to just, okay, well, this is, I mean, people can't forget for the past decade, we've been in a fat and happy economy. And when you're in a fat and happy economy, it's very easy for the barnacles of and crustaceans to just attach themselves to our ship, right? So this is a good opportunity for us to like, just slice off stuff. You know, for example, you know, we, we had, um, three pieces of software, different SaaS products that do the exact same thing in our business. And I was like, why? When we only use that one over there, you know, but, you know, we, we were, so just cut those other two things. We don't use them. So yeah. that's, that's just practical stuff. Mm -hmm. But to your point, um, the people that you were talking about the spreadsheet thing, another way to look at it is people being unwilling or inflexible with their business model are losing right now. The, I, I had a post recently. Um, it was actually, I was doing a, a talk to the YPO, uh, so Young Presidents Organization, amazing group of uh, CEOs and leaders from around the world. And, um, and I said, the great thing about this particular um, uh, situation is it's actually brought everyone down to everyone's a founder nowadays. Everyone's a brand new founder. Everyone's in startup mode because some some people's entire business models have to get shifted. Well, if you're the founder of the company and it's been scaled up, you remember what those times are. If you if you want to continue to anchor yourself to the CEO who's only responsible for operations and you know the um, the execution of the business, and you think it's the business as usual, you're those people are losing right now. It's the ones who have switched their identity or switched their psychology to all right. This is back to being scrappy and figuring out where the wins could be right now that are the ones that are truly winning and pivoting or switching really, really fast. And this comes back down to, you know, some of my world for the longest time, mental toughness. People ask me, well, what is, what is mental toughness as a definition? And I say, well, mental toughness is your ability to be flexible and adaptable despite what you're getting as circumstances or what the world is dishing up for you. And right now, people who are inflexible and, in, and unwilling to be adaptable to how their business model works are the ones who are trying to force a square peg in a round hole. It's just not working for them. Yeah. So the people that are really willing, winning and pivoting their business model, which might be, you might be changing up. Um, some people might be changing up the market that they're serving. Some people might be, might be changing up the product that they have. Some people might be just, uh, maybe it's a simple messaging change, but all those things are three fundamentals of the startup world um, of a business. Yeah, very interesting. And I think that definition of mental toughness is great because I think some people are, would say mental toughness is about being ruthless and stubborn and, and tough. No. And, and actually, it's about what I'm hearing from you is about flexing. It's about adjusting to change. It's about focusing on what you can influence rather than worrying yeah. about things out of your control yeah. Yeah, and getting stuck in that. These three areas, I'd just like to deep dive in a little yeah. bit from the female and male perspective. So sure. They're focused, unfocused, and strategy focused. What were some of your key findings uh, within those three, and then how you split it yeah. out? You identify with between men and women. 
Yeah. So, I mean, right now, women uh, CEOs are 18% more likely to be strategy focused than men. Um, and what's been fascinating through like anytime um, an event happens where it is volatile or it's a crisis, men and women uh, through the study, what this is showing is we will actually go and retreat into traditional roles or traditional uh, archetypes that we live through. So women um, as a group have retreated and responded into becoming far more caretakers. So what, is, what do I mean by that? Well, um, just some stats. Women are 351% more likely to have sent care packages to their employees than men. Right. Okay, so three and a half times. Um, 603% more likely to bring up childcare as a personal responsibility than men are. Okay. Um, 247% more likely to be caring for an elderly parent. Again, that's just situational. Um, 65% uh, women are taking 65% uh, longer to make adjustments to their teams, meaning um, layoffs, furloughs, or cutting freelancers, something like that. And again, that goes back to the psychology of a caretaker. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to lay off people. Okay. So what that means is at the, before this whole thing started, women were 18% more likely to be running a more profitable venture than men were before March 1st. Okay. So as a CEO, women were actually running more profitable ventures, but they were now they're 11% less likely after March 1. And that's because they were just taking longer to make some of the shifts with team. So their operational stuff was a little bit more maybe bloated for the time right now um, than men. Uh, but on the men's side of things, again, like I said, 430% more likely to be suffering from moderate to severe depression. Um, uh, 85% more likely to have applied for the financial government uh, programs than women were. Um, men are getting 12% more sleep than women. And when you take a look at some of these things, women, again, view childcare as their responsibility. Because again, I mean, these are some of the people who could normally afford having childcare help around the home. But because of the, again, because of this unique circumstance of isolation and social distancing or physical distancing, you don't have that help around you. So uh, in the home, if you're a female CEO and the husband also has a, a role in another company or he has his own business, the women still view themselves as the ones who should be taking care of the kids. Whereas the men who are the CEOs in the study, they don't have that same paradigm as women. So they're not the ones who are shouldering some of the childcare stuff. Just, it's just fascinating things. Yeah, it's, it's uh, incredibly fascinating. Yeah. And I, yeah. I'm grateful for you putting the report together. What was the thing that really stood out for you? What, what was the thing that surprised you the most? Um, how much more coachable women are right now than men. Uh, men are 225% less likely to be coachable, meaning seeking advice mm -hmm. with, again, men are seeking advice, but this is the key thing. Women are seeking advice with the intent of listening and taking action. Right. Anyone who's in the world of venture capital knows this. One of your founders that's sitting at the, if you've got say a founder meeting day, if you have a, a, a female founder team or a female that comes in, 
she will sit there and she will take copious amounts of notes on the feedback she's getting from the board. A male CEO will not do that. And it's the ego and it's the stubbornness factor and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, and because uh, the other point to this is men uh, or uh, women are more likely to be strategy focused than men right now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Men are more likely to be unfocused and fear focused. Um, and, and some of that, again, goes back to the fact that they're, they're more, more men are battling um, mental health issues than women are. Women have reached out. They've actually created more support groups around themselves than men have. Yeah. And again, it's the intent. The intent is so important. It's the intent of listening and taking action, which mm-hmm. men, again, not massively, but it's still a significant amount are, are just not being coachable um, as much as women are. That's one it's of the things that's been really amazing. It's that classic scenario. This is pre sat nav where the guy is driving the car and <laughs> the wife says, yeah. let's ask for directions. We'll just ask this. No, yeah. no, no, I got it. I've got it. And even if they do stop and ask for directions, like, no, I know a shortcut. I know a different way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, it's, I don't want to play it down, but that that's a, a no. situation, a real it's situation, a, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a perfect metaphor. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that gets to the point. So while female, the caretaker self has really taken over and actually you even see this in the political domains. Uh, some of the countries that have the lowest rates of infection right now are led by female prime ministers. Really? Angela Merkel in Germany. Um, uh, I think the other ones are uh, Denmark and Finland. Anyways, uh, I think there's four particular leaders that are leading countries where their infection rates are really, really low. I saw this uh, article just recently, and it maps perfectly to what I've been um, yeah, yeah. finding in the study. And the male and the other one that the... Uh, so the female is the caretaker one. The male ego is helping in some ways and hurting in others. It's helping in the optimism. Men are actually more optimistic than women are that something good is going to come out of this. So those are the words that they're using. But where it's hurting them is, is in the identification of if the business is struggling, they take it on as themselves failing. Or if their financials have been hit, again, now because again, men are providers, right? In the context of archetypes. And now I'm not providing. I'm not providing for my team, or I'm not providing for the market, or I'm not providing for my family. And um, and that's what's triggering a lot of the mental health stuff. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and a lot of this is um is biologically hardwired, right? I mean, this is this goes back, it's it, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're you're highlighting maternal instincts. Um yeah. And, 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 you know, this stuff is, yeah, and I'm sure and I'm not even highlighting it. It's just the data is like, yeah, I mean, yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. again, like I said, the, the, the women are, like, women are just mentioning childcare more than men are. Well, that would be mm-hmm. someone that a, a caretaker would say that more. Um, yeah. They're concerned about their parents more. Again, how do I know they're concerned about their parents more? Word choice. They're just bringing it up more. Again, I, I'm paying attention to what you're saying and what, like, because your word choices are an indication of where your thoughts are leading towards. Men aren't bringing it up as much as women are. Interesting. Yeah. There's a few questions coming through. Uh, one from Gavin Latimore here. He says, interesting point about depression. He says, but how did they arrive at 4.2? Is that a reported cases per capita? I don't know if you could answer that for us today. Well, no, it's not per capita. It's per the people that are inside of this study right now. Um, right. So, you okay. know, I have this, I have this mental health checklist that they're filling out every single week and those numbers are reported. And then I'm just, comparing numbers between men versus women. I'm comparing numbers between strategy focused versus fear focused um, groups of people. Fear focused people have a way higher um, 
uh, or way lower quality level of mental health than people who are strategy focused. Okay. Because okay. when you're fear focused, you're actually you're actually um, very much motivated by uncontrollables. Oh my God, the saber tooth tiger is running behind me. I better run. Whereas strategy focus is you see something off in the distance, and that's why you're moving. Your motivation has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I yeah. like that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. There's a there's a few questions coming in from Claudia. Just says so interesting. Totally makes sense. Um, I think we covered it, Claudia. But tell me if we didn't. You've talked about Todd. You talked about how men showed up, but how do women show up? And I think we we touched on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I can't have you on on the show and not talk about the alter ego because sure. you know, obviously I've spent time with you and we could speak we could talk for two days around some of the stuff that's in your head and the all that it would we would just go for it. Um, but for those that perhaps aren't familiar with the concept, tell us a little bit about yeah. the alter ego and because I found it useful even now hearing you speak. Yeah. Thinking, yeah. Actually, what's what's my alter ego? And if I'd known this stuff in my early twenties. It could have been such a game changer for me as an athlete. So come on, tell us, tell us more about that. Sure. So, I mean, in the work that I've done with athletes, um, early in my career, when I started working with more and more elite across, again, I didn't focus on one particular sport I was working with, like, you know, I've worked in 78 different sports. And one thing that was showing up consistently was the ones who were performing at the highest level consistently would mention things like, oh, I've got this persona that I step into when I'm out there. I've got this um, uh, performance identity or I've got this alter ego. There's sort of this dance around the idea. And me, I played you know, uh, college football at a pretty high level. I was a nationally ranked badminton player as well. So I was a good athlete and I did the same thing. I had this specific performance identity, my alter ego that I took out there onto the football field. And um, I did it naturally. And then once I got into working with the athletes, I discovered that well, this is actually a thing. This isn't just something that was like my own phenomenon. So I ended up becoming back in 2003, roughly, um, really known as the guy who helps build out performance identities, specifically using alter egos for athletes. And the reason is because the reason it's so important to use it is most of us can take a uh, ill-formed or under-indexing self out onto our field of play. And we take out our worries, our concerns about what other people are thinking about us. We take out, um, you know, maybe even imposter syndrome and the, you know, concern that other people are going to find us out. And all this psychological stuff just creates like an emergency break on our capabilities, on our performance. But when you associate with something else, when you associate with something different, you actually detach from your own identity which again has been, you didn't create that identity. Other people helped shape that identity. That's why when people use the word I am, or when someone says, you know, who are you? Well, there's many versions of all of us. So I want to create the version of me that's custom built to win on this area of my life. That's really important to me. And when I say custom build, I'm going to use a model because again, we are teleological, which means we're goal seeking. It helps if we have a vision and a model in our mind of something that we want to be developing towards. That's why, you know, just as a you know loose example, if we said, hey, go build me a website to a web designer, and they went, who knows what you're going to get? But if you give them a model of like, hey, make it like that, that's going to get you more of what you want. Well, the same thing goes in our head of, you know, when, I, when I'm around my kids, the model of how I want to show up around my kids is actually Mr. Rogers. So Mr. Rogers, famous um, uh, children, children's entertainer here in America. And, you know, I'm a challenging personality type in business because I'm going to, I've got to break through the hard exteriors of like some 
extremely big personalities in business and sport. And, you know, I flex that muscle all day long of challenging people. But the last thing my three little kids want when I get home is that challenging personality type. Because I hear it all the time. I don't know if you do too, Andrew. I hear, oh, I just have a hard time turning it off. Well, of right. course you do. Yeah. That makes sense. And that's because you haven't isolated and seen the identity that shows up in business is meant for this. Mm-hmm. But who's the person that shows up at home that's going to allow you to perform to your best there with the people that you most care about? Mm-hmm. And for me, for my kids, that's Mr. Rogers. So he's the model I have in my mind. That's the alter ego that I use to show up for them. And allows me, that allows me to tap into other traits, other abilities, other skills that are there. They're just dormant through the day because I don't flex that muscle. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in my book, The Alter Ego Effect, I just recount tons of different, you know, um, leaders that have used the idea. I talk about the science of why it's so powerful and, and why it's just as a tool, super powerful for people to have in their kind of toolkit of how to navigate life with more grace and more grit. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. There, and there's something there that really stood out for me. And, and I've heard you talk about this, you know, when people talk about being authentic on the field, for example, mm-hmm. and actually that doesn't really make sense. You've got to bring something when you go onto the pitch. So the athlete is not the same person as they would be at home playing with the kids. That's right. But, but what you've identified is that you've got one alter, your alter ego when you're at work and you've got to punch through those things and you Mr. Rogers when you get home. And I think maybe one of the challenges athletes have is not that they can't switch off, but they can't switch into something. That's right. And, and then they lose their person, they, they lose their identity because actually, and particularly when they retire. Yeah. Because I've been this, and we see it with enforcers in ice hockey, right? Because that's who they are. They're the fighter, but actually off, off the ring, they're probably sometimes the most gentlest people in the world. They're doing the charity. Bears, I know them. They're, they're, they're clients of mine, former clients of yeah. mine. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. yeah. So, so when they lose that identity or they can't switch into something, that's when they switch to the bottle or to depression yeah. or whatever it is. Is that, is that fair to say? Big time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we, we call it, and the, the term that would be used in, say, mental health or psychology world would be role conflict. Now, again, I am not a, um, I'm not someone who's a therapist. I don't work with people on that stuff. I mean, but, you know, there's, uh, when you're poking around between the six inches of people's ears, trying to find the little performance buttons to push to help that person excel, right. you're going to, you're going to hit on some things that are little wounds that they have. I mean, yeah. you know, people have got traumatic experiences that have happened to them and, uh, whatnot. But when, when you have role conflict, meaning what that means is you take the qualities that help you to succeed in this role, and then you try to bring them into another role that creates conflict. That's like, you know, the hard charging entrepreneur CEO who comes home and all day long, he's like, you know, pushing buttons with his team. Okay, let's do this. And then he comes home and he tries to do the exact same thing with his wife and, or her yeah. husband or what, like whoever it might be. Yeah, that doesn't work. That sort of game plan doesn't work. So this idea, like once I got it in my head, I was like, oh, wow, wait a second. There's, a, there's multiple versions of myself. And when I start thinking through this version of me, this is how I really want to show up over here. And this version of me, this is how I want to show up. And this actually maps to, um, uh, for the longest time, the world of psychology. And so just to finish that thought, helps me to excel and allows me to be far more flexible. And I, and I, don't, have to recognize, I don't have to identify as having one self, like, oh, I'm a hard charging person. And that means I'm going to be a hard charging person everywhere. That doesn't work for you. You're going to wear yourself out. Mm-hmm. So 
what this maps back to in the world of psychology is for the longest time, single self theory was a like fundamental core foundational principle of what psychologists and psychiatrists felt made up a really healthy person mentally. You identified it with having one self, one identity, and now me, someone who's a, like a practitioner on the field, I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because my football player or my golfer is very different off the court or off the field than when they're playing. And you want them to be because that killer on the football field or that killer on the footy field is not who you want to show up at the mall or at home. Mm-hmm. And so that didn't make sense to me. And then in about 2008, there was this big shift that happened in the world of psychology where they identified that really the people who um, operated through the idea of multiple selves, which is there's many sides of me, but more importantly, intentionally showing up with this self, you know, when I'm around my friends or um, when I'm around my uh, wife or husband or when I'm around my kids or when I'm at work or when I'm on the stage giving my speech, that's a different version of like, that's a different version of Todd when I'm out there speaking in front of 10,000 people than when I'm sitting on Zoom talking to my, you know, distributed team around the world. And of course I should be. Like, I don't need to bring the same energy to that. Um, anyway, they found that the people who operated through that multiple self idea had the highest quality level of mental health, meaning lowest rates of stress uh, and anxiety disorders, lowest rates of um, depressive or depressional states. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, so once somebody has said, actually, that makes absolute sense. I like the idea of that. And actually, I'm recognizing that I'm really good at planning. I'm very operational at work, but as soon as I get home, I'm yeah. planning the holiday. I'm taking over. I'm taking control, and you know we're having. I'm yeah. getting feedback from my partner that that's not working. So they yeah. recognise it. So they got the self awareness now. Yeah, it's going to be very hard not to return to type, isn't it? And so, does it take a period of time? Are there things that you recommend people do to yeah. put that tape on, metaphorically speaking? Yeah. So um, the answer to the whole how long does it take? is conditional on the how much someone is emotionally connected to the idea of making the switch. Like I've seen people fundamentally change how they show up in an hour. Like that's why kind of in the world of sport, I'm more known as like a quick hit artist guy. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the tools that I have. Like when you change identity, you can change someone really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Other times it takes people a little bit longer because they haven't, they, they're still trying to find that emotional resonance of how they want to show up. So to your point, A, it, it could happen quickly. It, it might take some time, but I would first identify, well, okay. So if you're that planner at work, but you don't want to be that at home because that's not working for you. What would be the traits, the qualities, the habits of the person who was far more inviting to the planning process, um, didn't try to control things, was far more fluid? Like, what does that person look like? Mm-hmm. And then who already do you know in your mind that already operates that way? Because again, that creates the model. That's where the source code of the alter ego kind of comes from. Right. So, because um, I'm that way too. I can... You know, if anyone's familiar with the different, the 12 different archetypes of, you know, human beings psychologically, there's the ruler, there's the warrior, there's the caretaker, there's the sage, there's the magician. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so I am far more a ruler archetype, meaning um, 
a ruler archetype is someone who wants prosperity for everyone in the kingdom. That's truly what a ruler wants. They, they want prosperity for everyone. Um, and they do that by trying to create order for things. So as a performance guy, like that, it kind of starts to make sense for someone. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, you're trying to like, you know, track data and create order and, you know, routines and habits, rituals for people. But the shadow side of that ruler is control. Someone trying to control things too much. Right. So that's how I know I'm triggering a shadow side of myself as if I'm trying to be too controlling with my kids or my family. And I need to lay off that a little bit. And I need mm -hmm. to bring in some other um, type of identity yourself. And that could be a caretaker mm -hmm. self. Well, who's someone that I already know that's a caretaker? Well, Mr. Rogers then. And Mr. Rogers would be less concerned about whether or not every single I got dotted on the planning of the trip and more concerned about whether or not my, his, the, the kids or the people he's trying to influence are developing themselves and they're understanding it. And how could he invite the kids into planning? Hey, where would you like to go? And, you know, including them in that. And now all of a sudden you're developing their skills as well. And, and, and that's, just, I mean, I can do it really, really fast because I've done this for so long, but it doesn't, the great thing about this idea and this concept is the most common comment I've gotten back from people, whether it's coming off stage or the people tagging me on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn is I feel like I've already done this before. Mm -hmm. And now this just gives me a roadmap on how to do it consistently. And I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah. I know you have because every human being has already used this idea when we were kids, when we were pretending to be a superhero or jumping off the sofa, or we were our favorite sports hero in the front driveway playing the game that we were playing. And all it's doing is just helping us answer the one question, what could I do if? What could I do if I had that person's traits? Or what could I do if I wasn't in this current circumstance? And, and that starts tapping into the real superpower that we have as human beings, which is our creative imagination, which gets us back to even what we were talking earlier about with regards to the CEO study, the people who are tapping into and tapping into that creative imagination that, well, what good is going, again, the quality of our questions, what good is going to come out of this? What's the opportunity that's here? You know, um, what's this, what, what, what do I need to let go of right now? Which is a really powerful question, by the way, what's something I need to let go of? Especially it's going right to help now. us propel and accelerate us forward for sure. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Todd, thank you so much. Because we could keep Absolutely, going. Man. But I, I, oh, I know. Otherwise, we'll, <laughs> I'll ask another question. We'll, we'll get straight into well, it. Well, I hope this was valuable for the people that were watching and if they had a, one or two great takeaways. And, um, and again, there's messages popping and people asking where can they get a recording of this. And so yeah. clearly this stuff is resonating. And um, I'm really grateful that you've, you've jumped on. And I know you're a, re a very busy man. And I hope we all are. And you also recovered a few weeks back as well. Yeah. So I was one of the early case, earliest cases in New York City um, of the virus. So I got it at the, right at the beginning of March. And um, yeah, it started off with a really horrible flu part. I mean, it was the worst experience I've ever had. And then it settled into the lungs after a few days. And it took me about 21 days to get past it. It went through my entire family, all the kids, they're kind of, they were done with it in about one or two days. But uh, yeah, it's really, it's kind of an odd feeling of, cause I know a lot of people have a lot of maybe anxiety and fear because they haven't had it yet and, and whatnot and what that's going to be like. So it's kind of weird being on the other side of this and, and now having an immunity towards it, um, you know, while the rest of the world is still sort of waiting on pins and needles. So, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm glad you recovered. I'm glad the family's well. Um, thank you man and uh for those that want to find out more about you yeah uh, where should we send them 
They can send a carrier pigeon. <laughs> no, they can. My home base on the internet is uh, toddherman.me. And um, they're going to find links to all my social stuff. And, um, you know, if they want to learn more about the Alter Ego Effect book, they can go to alteregoeffect.com. But toddherman.me, they're going to get the same links yeah. and, you know, find out about some of the ways that I, I work with people and help them. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll put the links in in on, on LinkedIn. And I'll, I'll also yeah. grab the first aid kit, the, the video you did as well. And I'll pop that in the links as well so people can watch that. Yeah, so, the mental health checklist. Yeah, because it's on LinkedIn. Yeah, the link, it's, yeah, yeah. it's there. Great. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. Absolute champ, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Scale Without Burnout podcast. For more free resources and content on how to grow and lead your business and become the best version of yourself, head over to andrewsilito.com.